The uh, classic Christian songwriter, Rich Mullins, remember back from the 90s, any of you who were in the, the CCM movement maybe back then? Um, he has this quote that I want to share with you today that's just kind of resonated with me, and it's about the Bible. And what he says, despite what many people think, especially Christians, is that the Bible is not a book for the faint of heart, but instead that it's filled with the greed and sex and violence that, that, that manifests in humanity. And it isn't designed for what he calls pious little church mice and their small-minded questions but instead is something that's transformative and visceral and raw that seeks to transform us rather than be transformed in our hand. Maybe put another way. The Bible is often filled with far more things and has far more visceral, raw ways of speaking than most Christians or most churches are used to or typical to or familiar with or would even think should be there. And one of the things that you see throughout the Bible, especially Isaiah, as we've been digging in there, is scandal. And of course, scandal is nothing new. People are always immersed in scandal. But I want to talk to you today and through these next few weeks about scandals around God. Because, you know, God is kind of scandalous. And if you think about what Christianity teaches, it's kind of scandalous too. There's things that you'll see about God, read about God, see being described about God that a lot of people, if you're being honest with yourself, you just go, that isn't right. That just doesn't seem right. And things more so that within that seem to get people upset, people angry, people just kind of like with a sense of certain almost moral outrage against God of like, how could he or why would he or how dare he kind of thing. Don't believe me? Try reading the Bible and try reading it with honest eyes as opposed to forcing it to conform to what you think should be right. And I'll tell you, it'll get in there and it'll mess you up. It'll challenge you and it'll convict you. And it'll make you wrestle at deep kind of internal levels in ways with not only life and yourself, but also with God and will bring you to a head where you're going to decide, will God bow to what I think is right or will I bow to what he says is right? Will I cast God in my image and try to make him the way I think he should be or will I accept him for who he is? and conform myself to that. And so it sounds all kind of great and pious and holy in a situation like this where it's theoretical, but get into it. And I'll tell you, it'll turn your soul inside out. And today I want to talk to you about a particular scandal of God. And it's called a scandal of faith. Now, the story of Isaiah, or better, the story that Isaiah is telling is about God entering into or, or, or living out a special relationship with the people of Judah in a specific period of their history. And also about the promises he makes to them that go well beyond their history. And what you see in 
the prophet Isaiah is a number of distinctions that start to get to be made. Now, I want you to try to visualize this because you got to kind of make sense of what's going on geographically to understand what's going to happen theologically. Who here loves geography? It's exactly what I thought. All right. What we think of as the nation of Israel by the time of Isaiah is actually two nations, Israel to the north and Judah, one of the original tribes of Israel, to the south, which becomes its own nation. Its own nation, its own king, its own people, and while they are certainly integrated and tied with each other and enmeshed many ways, nonetheless, they are two different political entities. This is not the way it was always supposed to be. In the beginning, there was one nation of Israel, one people coming out of Egypt, one people in the promised land, one king, David, who reigned over all of them and a great expansive kingdom. But through their history and by the time of Isaiah, civil war, two nations, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Maybe think about it like this. Think about the state of Illinois. Think about its length and use that somewhat as an idea for ancient Israel. Illinois is certainly longer than ancient Israel was, but the dimension kind of works. And imagine everything north of Springfield becoming what we think of as Israel, and the nation of Judah being what's south of Springfield, but, and here's the key, including the capital. What you see in Isaiah is the story of God and a special relationship with those people to the south, the people of Judah. And specifically because in Judah, you have Jerusalem, God's chosen city. And more than just a capital city, its importance lies, and this is where the Davidic kingship comes from. This is where the chosen line comes out of. Even more significantly, this is where the temple is at, where God continues to interact and meet with his people in a very real, tangible kind of way. And so this is where the action's at, if I can put it that way. And there in this city of Jerusalem, we see that it's built on a mountain. Now, in ancient times, the mountain was called Moriah, but by the time of Isaiah, it goes by a name you're probably more familiar with, Zion. And so, from one perspective, Jerusalem and Zion are synonymous terms. They're the same place, right? The same geographic locale, the same group of people. And sometimes when Isaiah speaks, he talks about them synonymously. But other times, and if you're reading carefully, when you go through the prophet of Isaiah, he makes a distinction. A distinction between Jerusalem and Zion, even though it seems to be the same place. And the distinction is this. Jerusalem will often be used to refer to, well, the place and all the people there. 
but within it. Sometimes Isaiah will speak of Zion to refer to those who are within Jerusalem who are repentant and faithful to God. So do you see the distinction being set up? Because just because you live in Jerusalem, would that imply that per se you're faithful to God, repentant towards God, trusting in God, the people of God? Let me analogize it this way. What is fellowship of faith? Is fellowship of faith the address 6120 Mason Hill Road and the people who gather here? Or is fellowship of faith a subset of people within the crowd that calls themselves 6120 Mason Hill Road, or better, meets at 6120 Mason Hill Road, who are faithful to God? You see what I mean? You see the distinction? And this is how Isaiah will speak of Jerusalem and Zion. Now, God loves both Jerusalem and Zion. God is at work among both Jerusalem and Zion. God reaches out to both Jerusalem and Zion. And yet it is clear that there are those who are in Jerusalem that are not Zion. And that makes all the difference. And for the people of Judah, this was scandalous. Because how dare you suggest that I might not be among the true people of God. I'm a born and bred Jew, a literal Judahite. I've grown up in this, and my family lineage goes back to the time of Abraham. I go to the temple, I give my sacrifices, I have been circumcised, I follow the dietary laws, I practice the Sabbath. How can you suggest that I might not be the people of God? And yet the message of Isaiah to the people of Jerusalem is this, are you Jerusalem or are you Zion? Are you one who are claiming a status that you will find is more self-delusion or are you ones who are turning to me in faith and it's resulting faithfulness with repentance? Because the answer to that question, let me say it again, for Isaiah and more importantly for God, makes all the difference. How many people today go by the name Christian and by that title assume because I was baptized, because I grew up in this, because I'm a member of a church, because I attend somewhere, I therefore must be the people of God. And the message of Isaiah to people like us who are so easily swayed by that self-delusion is a warning Are you Jerusalem or are you Zion?
This is the message of John the Baptist. Do you know this guy? You know this guy? The cousin of Jesus who went preparing the way? He's out, a crazy man, a wild man, baptizing out by the Jordan River. And the religious leaders and all of Jerusalem and Judea goes out to meet him. And when he sees them, do you know what he says? Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? You know what he calls them? Brood of vipers, snakes, the offspring of that original snake in the garden. He says to them, don't think that you can say, I have Abraham as my father. I'm the chosen people of God. I tell you that God can raise up children of Abraham from these very rocks. And you know what he says? The axe is already at the root of the tree. Anyone who doesn't produce fruit in keeping with repentance will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Oh my gosh, right? Oh man. It's not John the Baptist alone. I think of Jesus, who I'll read to you word from word, says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Isn't it evident, in other words, that we are the people of God? But look at what he says. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And I'll be honest with you. If that doesn't terrify you just a little bit, I don't really think you believe what Jesus has to say. Or at the very least, if that doesn't get under your skin and sober you up really quick, I don't think you're taking seriously what he has to say. Because Isaiah is a prophet sent out by God to call people back from self-delusion. And one of the greatest self-delusions out there is when people of God think they're people of God but are not. Because it's very easy, isn't it? Those of us who have been seeking to follow God for some time to get a certain sense of entitlement with God. We get comfortable with God, don't we? And we start to think that we're entitled to the grace that he gives, that he did this for me. He owes me even. I've been following him. Why wouldn't he? Of course God does. And we ho-hum through the gospel as though this is mine anyway, so let's get on to other things. But Isaiah calls people back from the brink. Look at what this prophet says. Come now, let us reason together, says Yahweh. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured. For the mouth 
of Yahweh has spoken. And then he cries out, see how the faithful city has become a harlot. Oh, how easy it is to delude ourselves into thinking we are something that we are not. But God wants people to be of Zion. He wants you to be of Zion. And the invitation to the people of Jerusalem through this prophet and the invitation to us who call ourselves the people of God today is this. Come to me in repentance, in faith, seeking me and trusting me. Not Jerusalem, but Zion. Because it is among Zion in the prophet Isaiah that the promises of God come spilling out. Because it can be difficult being Zion. Because the people of Zion had to suffer just alongside the people of Jerusalem. The people of Zion had to face the exact same things as the people of Jerusalem. The people of Zion found themselves struggling. Struggling with the exact same things as the people of Jerusalem. But it's to the people of Zion that Yahweh speaks. I see a future, a hope a restoration, a renewal, forgiveness, a promise, goodness, life. Oh, people of Jerusalem, do not delude yourself into thinking that just because you are part of this city, that you are the people of God, come and turn to me and discover what Zion is truly about and what it can truly be. He says to us, oh, people of fellowship of faith, do not delude yourself. But come to me, turn to me, and see what it means to be a part of the real church and not 6120 Mason Hill Road. But the living, breathing activity of the Spirit within. And I'll tell you what I found. That for a lot of people, who call themselves by whatever term for the people of God. It's kind of scandalous. Because honestly, did you enjoy hearing it? But it does us no good to fashion God in our image and forsake who he truly is. Idolatry at its best is warping God, his word, and his way to what we want it to sound like and to what we want it to mean rather than what he wants to say. And if this causes you issue with God, struggle with God, welcome to what it means to be the people of Israel because that's what their very name means. Welcome it. Welcome the struggle and rejoice in it. Because there in that place is where God is going to work 
and you'll find yourself being transformed into his likeness as his people. Rather than the other way, welcome to the scandal of faith. Faith.